Welcome to Trauma-Informed Parenting, where you can find information about adoption, foster care, parenting a child with a capital letter syndrome, such as ADD, ADHD, FASD, SPD, on the spectrum, etc., and trauma-informed parenting, all in one place. I'm Kathleen Guire, your host, mother of seven, four through adoption, former National Parent of the Year, author, teacher, and speaker, but more important than any of those things, I'm a parent just like you. I know what it's like to raise kiddos with trauma histories and capital letter syndromes. I used to feel as if I were the only one struggling, and because I felt that way, I isolated myself. I don't want you to feel alone in your parenting journey. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for Trauma-Informed Parenting, a Coffee Break Podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to this episode of Trauma-Informed Parenting. Today, I'm going to talk about attachment styles in children, holiday edition. Now, all the information that I'm sharing today is in a chapter in my book, How to Have Peace When Your Kids Are in Chaos. There's a whole chapter on attachment styles in children that goes into a lot more detail on the science and where the study of attachment came from. So you can get that there. And I will share more of the science in the show note article. But today I'm going to weave in the attachment styles in children and some holiday tips and things to remember about the holidays. So I'm going to start with secure attachment. What does secure attachment look like? According to Bobley, as cited in Nurturing Adoptions, securely attached children believe the following. My parents come back. They are reliable. I am worth coming back to. I can depend on my parents and the people they entrust to educate and spend time with me. My feelings are mirrored back to me so I can process how I feel and how others feel. I want to please my parents most of the time. I am rewarded for becoming competent, for my creativity, and for my positive states. I can get help with psychologically overwhelming events and feelings. My parents will teach me how to cope with problems and how to resolve them. Intimacy is enjoyable. My needs are routinely met in a timely, sensitive matter. Repairs to relationship disruptions are empathic and prompt. Those are in the show notes. So it's kind of like your checklist for attachment. In fact, when I was um, reading it, I was kind of like, oh my goodness, am I doing those things? Am I securely attaching to my children, to my grandchildren? So that's a a good thing for you to look at and maybe print that out as a checklist for you to look at and discuss it with your husband. So now I'm going to talk about adoptive and foster kids for a few minutes, and then I'm going to apply it to the holidays as well. (laughs) 
So if we ourselves have felt secure attachment, we expect our children to follow that pattern as well, even if their experiences have been vastly different from ours. We parents tend to expect our newly adopted children or foster kiddos to enter the home and quickly develop a secure attachment style. We assume that they will know the amount of time and work it took to secure their adoption or go through the classes to become a foster parent, all those things and how invested we are in this relationship and this connection and that they will be too, but that's not true. According to Steel and Steel and Gray, as cited in, in the Empowered to Connect training manual, in the at-risk population, as much as 80% of children are classified as disorganized. That's disorganized attachment, and I'm going to go over all of those styles in a few minutes. But so I just want you to know it's important to remember that secure attachment is only one attachment style. The other three are avoidant, ambivalent, and disorganized. And most kids who come to us from foster care or traumatic beginnings with trauma history or even kids with a capital letter syndrome can be disorganized in attachment. And we'll dig into that in a minute, what that really means because I, I promised to make this the holiday edition. And so when you get into holiday gatherings, what you have are all sorts of different attachment styles in adults, which I can't get into in this episode, but you will begin to notice them as you learn more about the attachment styles. But what we have to be really careful about is when we get together with our family and you have securely attached, you know, maybe your kids' cousins or aunts or uncles, they are expecting your kiddos to be securely attached. And that is a huge weight of responsibility anytime, but even more during the holidays. And what do I mean by that? What does that look like? Because that sounds like it just a jumble of words. In other words, people may expect your kids to greet them formally, like, hello, aunt so-and-so, maybe give them a hug, um, different things like be wearing the appropriate attire, be respectful, all of these sorts of things. And those don't necessarily have anything to do with secure attachment, but those are the expectations of what a family unit looks like. Like, you know, you're gonna show up, you're gonna be respectful, you're gonna answer the questions, you're gonna let everybody hug you. And those are just overwhelming even more during the holiday season. Now, when we adopted our kiddos, the first Christmas for them was extremely overwhelming. And I hosted because we I, we just always have for years and years. And, um, so one of the things that my kiddos did the first year when I was still learning and they were still learning how all of this worked and how to, you know, monitor them and help them and co-regulate and meet their needs and all of those things, because that first year that those words were, I didn't even know those words. I was just trying to parent. So my kiddos would end up hiding 
maybe under a bed when things got overstimulating. And like I said, overstimulated, like I didn't know those words at the time. But there was a lot of pressure during that time to, you know, go get them out of their room or, you know, open, make them open their present in front of everyone. Or, you know, one of my brothers, he is very famous for, like he likes to wrestle with the kids and throw them up in the air. And it took a few years, but then my kids, especially the boys, started enjoying that. But at first, somebody coming in the house and picking them up and throwing them up in the air in the foyer, uh, yeah, not gonna fly. And listen, your kids don't need to do those things. They don't need to engage in those. They don't need to sit on someone's lap. That is not a sign of attachment. That is not, it's like, well, they don't like us. Well, um, maybe they don't, but if you give them a chance and let them meet you on their terms, maybe they will. Okay, so I'm going, I'm, you know, I am going to briefly, briefly, because I've talked about this in other podcasts, but I want to go over the five B's of trauma. And this is why, because too often parents and experts look at behavioral disorders as they existed separate from sensory impairments, separate from attention difficulties, separate from early childhood deprivation, neurological damage, attachment disorders, post-traumatic stress, and so on. And that's a quote from the connected child. So how often in normal everyday life do people look at your children's behaviors and just treat them as behaviors separate from all of those things, separate from capital letter syndrome, separate from trauma histories, separate from just think. I mean, it's sometimes we don't really think it through, especially the holidays. Like my kids, my kiddos had been their first Christmas. They had been home in air quotes for less than a year. And so some of these people they had met their, you know, my brothers and sisters met maybe once or twice. And all of a sudden these people are staying at our house and they're eating every meal with us and we're doing these outings with them. Oh my goodness, so completely overwhelming. And they're supposed to be attached or respectful or understanding or, and I'm talking about the kids because sometimes the parents aren't. The adults aren't, let me put it that way. Not not just the parents, but the adults. Like we have these expectations that we need to really dial back. We need to dial back and remember our child's history. And even kids with capital letter syndromes that are your bio kids, like I said, sometimes I was really clueless because not only did my adopted kids have capital letter syndromes, but my bio kids and, and me. So some the, the holidays could be overwhelming for all of us, but we couldn't verbalize it because we didn't know there was another way to do it. But I slowly learned. So please leapfrog over my ignorance and learn today what's going to help your kiddo. So by taking the time to examine what issues are driving a behavioral disorder, we gain a foundation of understanding. When we learn the science, the why behind a child's behavior, our reactions will be tempered. And it's okay to pull someone aside during the holidays 
maybe your brother or sister, even if they don't understand and just say, you need to just let him go to his room. I'm not going to call him out of his room or, you know, whatever. Stand up for your child. Protect your child. The people don't need to understand. It's not your responsibility to make people understand why your children are the way they are or to share their history or their history of their capital. Well, he's like this because he has a capital letter syndrome. Well, that kid ain't behaving. So, you know, we hear all of those things. I just want very West Virginia on you there for a second. (laughs) But I just tried to make that point. Stand up for your child. And next week, I'm going to talk more about how to handle a holiday gathering. But right now, I just want to get some of that science under your belt and make you start thinking about this. Put yourself in your child's shoes. And you can mentally think about their history. Think about their challenges. Think about all of the things that, you know, how their brain works or doesn't work. If their executive function isn't working well if they don't have cause and effect thinking. So all of these things we can keep in mind. So when a child is behaving poorly, we often try to treat the symptoms rather than getting to the root of the issue. And just the holiday thing, you know what? Everybody's not going to want to get to the root of the issue. This is not the time to have a sit down with everyone and explain all of your child's history, their capital letter syndromes, all of that sort of stuff. But you will have people trying to treat the symptoms and that's when you need to stand up for your kiddo. And I know I've been guilty of that on several occasions. And of course, this approach doesn't work. It never does. Just as removing a bottle of whiskey from the liquor cabinet won't cure your father's alcoholism, focusing on a child's behavior won't cure their attachment issues. This is a deeper problem. We have to address that. Okay, I am getting to the attachment styles here in a second. I just want to read this other quote. Chronic trauma is a lifestyle that is marked with traumatic events. Children who have been in domestic and international placements have often experienced chronic trauma. That's from Nurturing Adoptions. And I said I was going to go over the five B's. So let's go over those quickly so I can get to the attachment styles. And just remember, your negative behaviors, the one that everyone's always harping on, the ones that we're always thinking on, we need to address them, yes. But they will diminish when a child is securely attached. Are we ever going to have perfect children? No. Are we ever going to be perfect? No. Are there perfect parents? No. So keep that in mind. There are no perfect parents. So number one, the brain. Altered brain development in an overactive amygdala. That's the first B. I'm just going to go over these really quickly. I do have an article on these. On the website, biology is altered neurochemistry. Complex trauma can cause a variety of issues. Sensory motor development problems, 
hypersensitivity to physical contact, there's all kinds of medical problems, coordination, balance. Then number three, we have the body, altered physical development and impacted ability to process sensory inputs. Now we hear a lot about SPD, sensory processing disorder nowadays, that we didn't used to hear even 10, 20 years ago. So these kiddos are going to have some form of sensory processing disorder. It may not be sensory processing disorder, but they're going to struggle with that. They can have developmental delays and growth disturbances. So those are things to consider. Failure to thrive, you know, especially my youngest, when he came home, he was grossly underweight, failure to thrive. He was um, 19 months, wasn't crawling very well, wasn't, you know, had just started, wasn't walking, those kinds of things. Number four, beliefs, an altered belief system. This is the lens through which they see the world. And this one is a biggie. It's one that's often ignored because we're constantly looking at the outward behavior instead of the inner belief. You know, because they can believe I don't matter, I don't count, I don't exist. They can have a shame-based way of looking at the world. And they have huge amounts of guilt. And then number five, the one that I get asked about the most is behavior. An altered ability to self-regulate in response to stressors. And that is the one that we see the most impulsiveness, self-destructive behavior, aggressive behavior, excessive compliance, sleep disturbances, eating disorders, substance abuse, reenactment of their traumatic past or self-soothing behaviors. So I went through that really, really fast because I think we need to have that base. And if you don't know a lot about that, then definitely get on traumainformedparenting.com and look for some more articles about that and read more about that. So here we are, the four attachment styles. Now these are the children's attachment styles. Number one, secure. The child feels confident that the attachment figure will be available to meet their needs. They use the attachment figure as a safe base to explore the environment and seek the attachment figure in times of distress. Number two, avoidant. The child has trouble seeking care. Infants with this attachment style communicate with their mothers only when they are feeling well. These children exhibit self-soothing behaviors and tend to mask negative emotions. They are often perfectionists. Number three, resistant ambivalent. The child develops a stay near mom strategy. These children use negative emotions to gain attention. They exhibit angry, resistant behavior towards the caregiver and exaggerated fearfulness. They tend to suppress their feelings and expect caregivers to be inconsistently available. These children expect parents to be preoccupied. And then number four, the one I talked about at the beginning that 80% of some of these kiddos have, disorganized. 
The child has no strategic response because the parent is always changing his or her response. These kids have the most difficulty seeking or responding to care. Their reactions are mystifying and disorganized because they have experienced maternal behavior that is frightening and unpredictable. As Dr. Dan Siegel notes, frightening behavior by a parent activates simultaneously, inevitably competing tendencies to flee to the parent as a haven of safety and to flee from the parent as a source of alarm. It's tough to be a child when your parent is both your security blanket and your worst enemy. Now, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about maybe the attachment style that your kiddos came to you. And just remember that kiddos with a capital letter syndrome can have an avoidant or ambivalent attachment style just because the way that their brain is organized or disorganized. I've talked about this before on the podcast, how my oldest daughter was like that and I didn't know what was going on at the time. When she was an infant, she did not sleep, number one. She did not want to be cuddled or held or comforted, but she wanted to move all the time. And that was the kiddo that we had to put in the car seat and drive around just so she could have that movement. And I often had to, we only had one car at the time. So if my husband was at work, I had her on my shoulder and I would walk up and down the stairs over and over and over again. And if I stopped, she woke up and she was definitely into self-soothing behaviors. Like she would, you know, people would say even when she was a toddler, wow, she really, she just wants to play by herself. That's so great. My kids aren't like that. Well, I didn't know that not every child was like that. In fact, when she was about three or four years old, I think. Yeah, when she was three years old, she wrote a list of everybody that lived in the neighborhood. And when she was four years old, she went out to the garage and took the um, training wheels off her bike and just started riding it. Okay, I'm getting off on a tangent here. But those are things to think about. If your child, you know, at the holidays, there's a lot of comparison. Does your child know the states yet? Can they read yet? Do they do this? Have you done this? Have they, you know, gone over this milestone? Well, your milestones for your child may be different than other kiddos' milestones. Especially if you are fostering and you know there there might be some restrictions on how much holiday traveling and all those sorts of things that you can do. But if you're with your family and you're at a family gathering, then Set your expectations for your child. And if someone starts demanding or requiring your child to meet their expectations, stand up for your child and make sure that the child's needs are met. And I will talk more about this um, next week in the holiday one, but you know, it's, you know, your child doesn't have to eat all the food on the table. Your child doesn't have to love everything that, Aunt Bertha made for dinner, you know, and they shouldn't be expected to. They may have sensory issues when it comes to eating certain foods. In fact, we have that in our, we've always had that in our family. My grandson Pip, um, when he was here, and I, I put a snack out on the table and I had cut carrot sticks and 
he just, he said, mom, these are not what we have at home. Like he couldn't eat them. And I teach a, an art lesson to all my grandkids that are homeschooled every other week. And we take turns hosting with my two daughters who participate. So this, this week it was my turn and I made sure that I bought the carrot sticks that he has at home, which are the baby carrots that are already done for you. So those things we need to accommodate. We accommodate ourselves all the time. We do. In fact, like when we're traveling, and this is a big joke, um, I, I like to get Starbucks coffee when we're traveling, and my husband's always like, let's just get one at McDonald's. Like, no, their coffee is not my kind of coffee. So we accommodate for ourselves all the time. It's okay to accommodate for your children. And listen, and I know I said I would talk more about this next week, but I feel so strongly to mention this. You don't owe your extended family any explanation. You don't owe them the right to parent your child. You don't owe them those things. You don't have to sit there and explain yourself. Now, if someone really wants to talk about an issue and they're genuinely interested in why the brain works that way or what's going on or why your child is overwhelmed with all the noise, then certainly explain it. Take the time to explain it, but not with the child standing there. But do not let the expectations of others parent your child it's just not it's just not good think about your interactions with your extended family when you were growing up what kinds of things just left a really bad taste in your mouth you still remember them today and maybe you're triggered at the holidays like oh i don't want to run into aunt so-and-so i know she's going to pinch my cheeks or she's going to make me hug her or she's going to ask me all these questions. Why haven't you done more with your life? Or what do you do? What do you mean you're a stay-at-home mom? Don't you have any brains? You know, all of these things that really trigger us. Um, remember those and then think about your kids. We don't want our kids to be more triggered. The holidays have enough stress in the in. In themselves, we don't want to add more stress. So um, I talked about the attachment styles now that you know them. You're probably going to be like the attachment detective. In fact, I had a friend of mine reach out to me after I'd recorded the first one on the attachment styles and say, oh my gosh, I didn't know my parents were this, you know, I won't share her story because that's hers alone. But um, I was just like, yeah, that's what we start doing. And just remember this, the goal of attachment parenting is not to be the perfect parent, but to be faithful and loving our children the way they need to be loved. And yes, that can look different for each child. Each child has different needs. Knowing where your child came from is the first step. And I'm speaking to foster and adoptive parents right here, remembering their history. So you start at the beginning, just like Maria from The Sound of Music says, you start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. 
I am not like a soloist singer or anything, and I'm recording this in the morning, so don't judge me. But we parents have to go back and fill in what the child missed. Having a list of developmental goals or attachment goals like I read at the beginning then go ahead and print those out and don't pressure yourself, but start thinking about them because being aware of them is the first step. So I am going to finish up for today because I have so many more things to say, but one of the things I I will finish up with is having those goals, having them written, and then having just a playful, happy attitude. You should have playful interaction. You should have joy and laughter. There are so many times that we do have to correct our children. We have to co-regulate for them. We have to help them after they've had a meltdown, come back and connect again. And those can be exhausting for you and for the child. But If you take those other times in between, remember, children learn best through play. So games can help disarm their fear and foster connection. So keep things playful and incorporate touch games, such as putting on Band-Aids, taking turns giving a massage. Now, these are for only kids that are not like some kids that have sensory issues, they don't like to be touched. They don't like a back massage. But you can do some old favorites like Mother May I and Simon Says. And if you want some more suggestions, um, I suggest you get a copy of the Out of Sync Child Has Fun. That's a great book. But the outcome of all of this is the capacity to receive nurture. Truth. Emotional education can help children know what they feel. It is more important for a child to know what he feels than why he feels it. When he knows clearly what his feelings are, he is less likely to feel ambivalent inside. So I will end with that. And I would like to get more into prerequisites for secure attachment, but that may have to wait until after the holidays, or I might weave it into next week's podcast. There's me thinking out loud on the podcast. So I'm going to finish up with this. I hope that my random ramblings are helpful this week, and I'm going to offer you something that will bring you some more relief from the stress that's been going on. So when the month of December ends, I'm going to need a reboot. No matter how much I love the season, how about you? Or maybe you just want the holidays to be over. If either of those, these are true, then the Tackling Mom Stress 5-Day Challenge is for you. Are you ready to leave the holiday stress behind and create a better new year in just 15 minutes a day? It's time to learn how to make time for self-care, take simple steps to reset your budget, and connect with your kiddos even when you're stressed, and be happy for real. So I'm inviting you to join this free Tackling Mom Stress 5-Day Email Challenge that I am working with some other wonderful ladies to put on. 
So what we're trying to do is help moms create a better new year after the chaos of the holiday season. And this challenge is running December 26th, the day after Christmas, through Friday, December 30th. Stacy from Bold and Daring Mom will be addressing three reasons why moms struggle to make time to care for themselves and simple steps to change that. Shelly from Make Happiness Happen will share three tips to stop faking it and be happy for real. Megan from Frugal Made Simple will be sharing three things you can do today to help improve your budget all year. Kathleen, yours truly, from Trauma-Informed Parenting, I'm sharing three steps to keep connecting with your kiddos, even when you're stressed. So sign up today. I will have that link in the show notes, and I will send it out to my email subscribers. Thanks for joining me today. I'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Trauma-Informed Parenting. Make sure you subscribe on traumainformedparenting.com to receive a free resource and receive a newsletter plus updates when books or new courses are released. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, or Spotify and leave a review so other listeners can find trauma-informed parenting and know the value of the show. You're welcome to send me an email to contact at traumainformedparenting.com.